0: Hello and welcome to the Leaders Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on another bright day in a rather deserted city of Westminster in current times, as once again we put the topic of leadership under the microscope. I am Scott Challoner and I'm joined on today's programme by Cheryl Doe. Cheryl is the Managing Director at Allegro Optical, a family-run independent opticians with branches in Meltham, Huddersfield and Saddleworth. Cheryl, welcome to the programme and it's great to have you on the air with us today. Thank you very much and thank you for having me. It's an absolute pleasure having you on the programme, Cheryl, and thank you ever so much for taking the time to come on and join us. Now, um, the purpose of this podcast, as I say there, is to really understand your take on leadership. And I think it's fair to say that leadership is really being put to the test at the present time, isn't it, with the emergence of COVID-19 and, of course, different business leaders having to react to that and move through this um, uncharted uh, territory. So, for somebody... Working as an optician such as yourself, how has it been trying to get through these last few weeks and months with everything closing down because I can imagine it's posed a whole raft of challenges.
1: It has been very challenging um it 's certainly not something we ever saw coming. It would never featured in the business plan. We never for one moment thought we'd be closing both businesses for nine weeks. Um, furlough in the staff. Now, there was a word that I'd never he- even heard of before uh, the 23rd of March, and now we use it all the time. Uh, it's been really challenging. We've had some clients who, uh, mid-surgery, cash clients, et cetera, who've ended up with one eye being done, and then the hospital, um rightly so, ceased all um, non-urgent surgery. So we've had that to deal with. We've had patients whose vision is unbalanced, and we've had to cope with that. We've laid the majority of the staff uh, off on furlough. We've been doing emergency and essential eye care, so, um, but we've not been doing any routine eye tests because they've all been suspended. But it's certainly been a challenge to keep the rest of the teams who are furloughed engaged with what we're doing so they don't feel that we've forgotten about them or that they've been pushed to one side. So we have regular meetings every week using Zoom. Uh, We take the opportunity to carry on with the training for a lot of them because we do put a lot of us through additional training. We've got some on the CMI management course, some on the dispensing opticians course, and we've got um, one at university studying to be an optometrist as well. So all of that has to carry on while the team's furloughed. Uh, And just to keep them engaged, then we try and keep them informed at every step so they know what's going on. We try and empower members of our team with a sense of ownership. If they feel they contribute and have a sense of ownership to the business, it moves us all forward in the same direction and we're all pulling in the same way. Mm -hmm. And we've had to keep that up while we've been closed
0: it's absolutely integral to keep that going, isn't it? Keeping the communication channels open to make sure that even those who don't have access to um, the day-to-day running of the business at the present time can feel like they're still going along with the overall vision. But also, um it provides that much-needed reassurance as well because there are a lot of people looking to their business leaders um, at the uh, present time looking for answers and some reassurance as to the, what the future holds and that everything is going to be okay. But when there is so much uncertainty and um sometimes A lack of clarity as to what the future does hold. The leaders themselves don't necessarily know too much more than those around them and being able to provide reassurance under those conditions comes with its own type of pressure as well, doesn't it? And that's something that um, leaders have really had to take responsibility for during this time as well.
1: It certainly does. And like you say, everybody's worried. The staff are worried. We do have um, some members of staff who have some mental health issues. and I think there will probably be a few more when we come back because everybody is worried. But the patients too, they're worried uh, about the situation with their eyesight. Um, so um, we're having to look after everybody as we move forward. Uh, and that's part of what the family business is all about. It's not just the family members. The whole business is the family, just from the staff through to the clients and so on.
0: Mm, can certainly see why it's been a changing times having to uh, react to this uh, current situation um, for sure. And... We've talked um, as well about um, not just um, reacting to uh, this um, pandemic, but also how it's uh, really um, affected people. Um, There's a new renewed focus on that reassurance side of things, on the importance of uh, mental health well-being. And that is one of a few positives that we can perhaps take forward from this situation, um, isn't it, uh, Cheryl? Because the experience of managing a crisis such as this it does come with some benefits, doesn't it? In the sense that it will help make us more resilient in the future in some ways.
1: It certainly has. And in a way, it's, it's been a blessing as well, because at no point will we have had nine weeks to actually look and reflect at, A, how the business is run. Is there anything we want to change? Will we change? We certainly will change operating procedures, because... We're going to have to change for all the extra health and safety and the changing of PPE and the cleaning of the test rooms in between each client's visit. But it's actually given us the time to review how we do things within Allegro. What do we like? What things do we want to keep and we should um, perhaps build on? And other things that we've kind of got down bogged down with the day-to-day running of things that suddenly we're thinking, well, do we need to do that? No, maybe we don't. And because we're doing a phased return to work and bringing staff back in probably three phases, we're also having to look at who we bring back and when. And all the uh, benefits that each different member of staff will bring, you know, what what are their qualities, why would we want to bring one in before the other and not just based on the skill set. Um, there's all sorts of things to consider, but it's been, it's been a bit of a blessing to be able to do that as well.
0: Mm. And when things do begin to eventually uh, reopen, um, we are getting bits and pieces of ideas of what that new normal might look like with these new proposed safety guidelines coming into force. Um, But from a leadership perspective, there's still a little bit of a lack of clarity um, around those, um, or at least that's how some people within the business world feel. Uh, from your point of view, uh, Cheryl, um, has it been clear what is going to be expected of you when things do begin to reopen within your industry?
1: I always do try and remain positive, um, but there has been a lack of clarity, Um England in particular has lagged behind Scotland, Wales and Ireland, um, and it it is rather vague. Um, So we don't really know how we're going to plan the return to work because we've got no guidance from either the General Optical Council, NHS England, um, the Optical Fees Negotiating Committee. It's, It's a difficult one, and we are all watching for statements coming from our governing body but I think they're in the same position as us until they get them, uh, something concrete to work on. They can't pass it on to us. So a lot of it's has uh, been common sense, making sure mm-hmm. that at every point the staff are safe, um, sourcing PPE to protect them, and things like putting screens in place, um, and tying down an operating procedure to run the business, you know, making sure that the cleaning stations are in place, that every time that somebody touches either the trial frame that we use in the test room, the field screener, the glasses on the shelves, everything has to be cleaned as soon as it's been touched. And we're also going to have to operate a one-in-one-out policy for all the practices. Mm. So we have been quite busy doing that. But to be honest, a lot of it is guesswork. We have been lucky that we have an ex-scrub nurse working for us who's been through the procedures with me and taught us how to clean different items in in ways that they wouldn't have yet. So it does stay completely sterile. And we've had to invest in a lot of equipment to make sure we can do just that as well.
0: Mm. It certainly seems to be a time which has tested the ability of uh, businesses to be not just proactive and plan for certain eventualities, but reactive as well, and also be able to change tack based on changing guidelines, changing circumstances, because that seems to be a real issue at the moment. The guidelines are changing quite quickly, and there isn't always um, that clear route forward mapped when it does uh, come along. If we think about Proactive versus reactive, just outside of this situation, just for a moment, Cheryl. When business, uh, when I should say difficulties arise um, within the business in a day to day context, um, are you more inclined to be proactive in dealing with them in the sense that you dive straight on top of things and really try and get on top of situations ASAP? Or do you tend to sort of take a little bit of a backseat, let things play out a bit, and then take action from that point? Um,
1: no, I would say I'm quite proactive in fact, my business partner, Stephen, he says I'm a bit of a control freak. But I think part of that is because we're a specialist musician, especially not in musicians' I care, we're the only people in the country who do this. And I, I think we're the only people in the world with this specialism. So we've always been very proactive, looked at each client's individual situation, instrument, etc., and designed it just for them. So being proactive and being a planner is naturally what I do. Um, I have to say, I've been pushed right out of my comfort zone with this. Uh, And it has been very, very stressful, very difficult. I have to say, I think the measures the government put in place to help small businesses has been fantastic. And it's certainly something we probably couldn't have managed with, certainly for nine weeks closure. It's certainly, like I said, not something I planned for, but we've had to cope with it. We have to look at the situation as it is and then put a plan together to deal with with it. But in every situation that's been thrown at us so far, we do sit and think, right, how can we plan our way out of this? And um, So I think I probably am more proactive than reactive.
0: And of course... Um the nature of your industry is one influence on that and also the experience that you've had in running the business already. But what would you say have been some of the other big influences um, in your life and in your career, Cheryl, that have sort of made you that way inclined?
1: Um, Music has to be a big influence. Um, I mean, it is an odd combination, optometry and uh, music. Um, I did always want to be a musician, but I've never been good enough. Mainly because I won't sit and spend eight hours a day practicing with my string bass, um, which where my business partner Stephen he was a professional musician and that's what he did for a living. So I would say, um, oh, one of one of my um, my influences, I would have said, was Sir Richard Branson, because he famously said, uh, "Running a business is all about problem solving." And that's pretty much what our job is. The client comes to us with a problem that they can no longer see the music and the conductor, and we have to fix it. And it's more or less the same thing procedure that we apply to running the business, both of us, um, and pretty much as well when I'm given a piece of music to play that, uh, well, that's going to take some planning. I'm not a natural sight reader. Um, so again, it's how do I plan coping with this piece of music when if we go to meet, or we did, used to go to rehearsals twice a week. It's yeah. something you have to have a strategy to cope with. And I think it's the same with business.
0: I can certainly see your point of view there, Cheryl. And if we think about the future now and what that future strategy holds for yourself and for Allegro, what do you actually envision the next year holding for yourself and for the business? And also, what do you hope to achieve in that time, not just in getting through COVID-19, but also when we do begin to emerge from this pandemic and look at the far future?
1: Well, it's very different to what we had planned. We had planned um, quite a big expansion We'd um, plan to extend Melbourne uh, and um, we'd also, Saddleworth, which is our second practice, uh, is only a year old. So we were looking at continuing the growth there. So I think really what we need to do is consolidate, focus on what we've got, be the best we can, perhaps follow up some of the, well, certainly follow up all the changes that we're planning to put in place. But really, we just needed the time and the opportunity to review what we're doing. Um, And maybe looking at at going into manufacturing um, our own frames at some point. Um, I think really at the moment, the big thing is just to push the Allegro brand out there and make sure that everybody knows who Allegro Optical are, that they are a specialist to opticians and to grow and develop what we've got to stay the market leader in our field.
0: It certainly seems like there's a great deal of ambition there, uh, Cheryl, for sure, despite the uncertainty um, at present. And I think when we do start to see the fog clearing um, in all of this and things do start to change in the the coming uh, months and the next two years, it would actually be fantastic um, from a listener's perspective, given how informative it's been having you on the air today, to maybe even catch up and just see how um, Allegro is uh, getting on and maybe also talk about some of the new initiatives that you'll be um, undertaking at that time as well.
1: Lovely. Thank you. and look forward
0: to it. No, I think that would be fantastic. Um, It's a shame that we've um, run out of time uh, today because, um, like I say, we could discuss it for hours, I'm sure. But thank you ever so much for taking the time to come on to the uh, the programme once again, Cheryl. It's been a real, real pleasure and a really informative experience as well. I've thoroughly enjoyed it.
1: Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure and thank you for having
0: me. Do take care and do stay safe as well with everything uh, still going on, for sure. Thank you and you. That was Cheryl Doe, Managing Director at Allegro Optical. Coming up next on the programme today, I'll be handing over to Jonathan White for his exclusive interview with former England cricketer Sir Andrew Strauss. Sir Andrew is now the Director of Cricket for the England and Wales Cricket Board and as a player, Strauss became one of only three England captains to have secured the ashes both at home and away in Australia. He is also the England skipper with the second highest number of test victories under his belt in his Story. And I hope you enjoy listening just as much as Jonathan enjoyed speaking with him. That's coming up next.
2: Hello and welcome. I'm Jonathan White, and today we are joined by Sir Andrew Strauss, former captain of the England cricket team and former director of cricket at the ECB. Sir Andrew, thank you very much for joining us today. Real pleasure to be here. Thank you. The pleasure is all of ours. You know, Andrew, you've had a distinguished career, as I said, both on and off the pitch in English cricket, recognised not least ashes series is one of the greatest sporting moments of this country's history now we could chat for hours about that but i know uh i wouldn't be allowed to and 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 you've got (laughs) other places to be so (laughs) we can't do that but i if i may i would love to ask what your highlight was personally for that but perhaps more importantly um as a team how were you able as a group to deal with the pressure no doubt you were feeling
3: yeah, well, the the pressure is like nothing else that I experienced before or after. Because You know, I think it's easy to forget how how much of a holy grail the Ashes was mm. back then. You know, we hadn't won it for so long, and it seemed like we'd come up against these invincible Australian teams year after year. So, you know, th- the closer we got to it, the harder it became. Um, I remember Ashley Giles walking into the dressing room, for the f- I think it was in final day of the series, and I looked at him and he looked absolutely terrible, <laughs> like just white of a sheet, grey. He looked like aged about five years. I went, God, Charlotte, you're not looking too good. And he went, yeah, it's not surprising. I haven't slept for eight weeks. <laughs> and I went, well, join the club. You right. know, I think we'd all been sort of living this behind our own closed doors. And um, yeah, it was just an extraordinary thing. And uh, without doubt, the the highlight was number one, drawing that game at the Oval yes. to make sure we, we we won the Ashes, but also the day after, you know, that open-top bus parade around London and to understand that we'd broken out of the cricket bubble, that just general sports fans or just people that were interested in in seeing England win at something were all engaged and uh, completely besotted by the whole thing. I think that's
2: such a key point because there's, there's so, there were so many people back in 2005 that may have
3: and then the foundation is directly benefited hugely by the the funds raised. And um, we want to take it up a gear this year and, and make it more of a community thing, not just the the day
2: at Lord's. Um, I even saw some of the stuffiest members of the MCC, Andrew, wearing, re- uh, wearing red. So it w- w- what an extraordinary thing. Yeah. Well, a lot um. of them wear red trousers <laughs> like anyway, no, I think.
3: But um, <laughs> no, it, absolutely. No, they they were right behind us. And, um, you know, we, we really want that to be something that's embedded in